you may not be the high bidder, but we are fiduciary iron investors that we stop the bidding sometimes for us because we know the return's got to hit a certain metric and we want to be, uh, be supportive of that. So, but as it pertains to getting back on that horse all the time, you know, we, we, we definitely try to you know, be involved uh, from a, um, a team approach, encouraging team members, like we just talked about a moment ago, and then getting our tanks refilled on the opposite end. Yeah, I use the word hurdles, and I think about, you know, there's, there's, there's sprinters who just get out there, because we're, we're dealing with the Olympics here in 2021, yeah. but, you know, there's sprinters who just run down the track, nothing in their way, they're just trying to get from point A to point B, and not that that's easy, but there's no, there's no obstacles in the way. That's, that's what I think entrepreneurs think life is going to be like, <laughs> right. and then they go, hey, if I start this business, all i got to do is go from the start line to the finish line, and I make a million dollars, right? Yeah. But the reality is it's hurdles. There's lots of hurdles in the way. In today's ultra-competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Well, welcome back to the podcast. I'm the real Jason Duncan. Thank you for tuning in. I, I, uh, we've got a special treat for you today, especially if you are watching this on YouTube. We're on location in Lincoln, California, just north of Sacramento. We're here at Oliver's Brew House and Grill, which is a phenomenal place. I've, I've never been here before, but we were introduced to the owner, Matt Oliver, through our kind of getting everything ready for this, uh, for this tour out in California. And Matt was gracious enough to allow us to do the podcast recording here today. So we got three guests that are coming in today. You're going to get to meet my guest today in just a moment. But I do want to send a shout out to Oliver's Brew House and Grill here in Lincoln. And they've got a couple of other locations too. But go look them up, Oliver's Brew House and Grill. It's a phenomenal place. It actually reminds me, for those of you who know Nashville and know the standard where we normally record, this is a very... Very uh, reminiscent of the standard, kind of got the old, even though this is not the South, it's got, got the old Southern feel, you know, the Prohibition era type of things. As a matter of fact, we're in the Prohibition room today recording this. So let me remind you, if you haven't gone to YouTube to watch these episodes, go to youtube.com slash C, as in channel, slash The Real Jason Duncan, and you can find the playlist for the Root of All Success podcast. Subscribe to it. Hit that little bell icon so that you're uh, reminded and notified every single time a new episode comes out, and hit the like button on all the videos. I would really, really appreciate that very much. And if you listen to on any of the other podcast players, we have C-Suite Radio Network to thank. We are honored to be syndicated on the C-Suite Radio Network, one of the world's largest business platforms for podcasting and radio shows. So we're very happy to be part of their network. And as part of that network, they push us out to all the podcast players. So whether you're listening on Spotify or Stitcher or Google Podcasts or iTunes, it's because of C-Suite Radio Network. So go check, take a look at those guys too. They're, they're phenomenal. And if you haven't subscribed or uh, left a review, obviously, man, I mean, every podcast you listen to, they're asking for that. And there's a reason. 
The reason we ask for that is because it's like, as somebody said on my show one time, it's like currency for podcast hosts because the more we get le- uh, you know, reviews and, and ratings, the more people get to listen to us. And the more people listen to us, we get to change the world. I truly believe that entrepreneurs are the ones that change the world. And as such, as a coach with my consulting company results through integrity, I coach entrepreneurs just like you to get the results that you truly want out of life. If you're interested in a free coaching session, you can go to therealjasonduncan.com slash free coaching and you can apply right there. I do one free session a week with one entrepreneur somewhere around the world. No matter if you're early stages, middle stages, late stages, we just go over one issue completely free. It's my way to give back to the entrepreneurial community. All the other coaching that you want me for, I actually charge. <laughs> but that one free session a week, I do every, every Tuesday, I do one session with somebody around the world. So go to therealjasonduncan.com slash free coaching. All right, I want to tell you about the episode sponsor for today. We're very grateful to be sponsored by Nurture360, and that's spelled N-E-R-C-H-E-R 360.com. Nurture360.com slash root is where you want to go for a special offer. Once I tell you what it is, you're definitely going to want to check it out. If you're like most small business owners, you find yourself kind of embroiled in a lot of the little details of day-to-day operational control. You want to you, you got to go over here and get a P&L report. You got to go get a balance sheet. You got to get inventory reports. You got to, well, where we are in the sales process, how many people are in our pipeline. All of those things can be maddening for the small business owner because they're usually all in different places. And if they're, even if they're all in one place, you still have to print endless amounts of reports to get the data you need to run your company better. What if I told you there was one specific place, one CRM that put all of that in a dashboard for you to see at a glance? It's there. It's called Nurture 360. When I was introduced to the owner, Jake Milner, and I was introduced to his platform, I immediately knew that this was exactly what we were looking for in the companies that I own. I have eight companies and I've implemented it in several of them and I knew for sure that this was going to final, finally give us the peak, quick peek at all the things that we needed to know about how to run our business. And we implemented Nurture 360, replaced the other complicated CRMs that have all the bells and whistles that you don't need. If you want to experience what that's like, go to Nurture360, that's N-E-R-C-H-E-R 360.com slash root, as in root of all success, for a special offer. And if you tell them, if you go there, you'll probably get a chance to talk to Jake because he takes really, really good care of the podcast listeners that go over there. So thank you to Nurture for sponsoring this episode. Okay, that's enough. Let's get on with the show, right? So today's guest has such a long list of accomplishments and things that he's, he's done. I'm going to find myself probably reading from my cliff notes here, my little cheat sheet on my lap that you can't see off camera. <laughs> it's off camera because this guy was introduced to me through a mutual friend of ours. He, uh, uh, Eric, our guest today, lives here in California in this area, here in the Lincoln area. And uh, my, my, one of my coaches used to live here and knew him. So when he, well, we were talking about coming out here and doing it, he said, you've got to talk to Eric Peterson. You've got to meet this guy. So we talked and how he's here on the show. So let me tell you a little bit about his background. He's with a company, he's a partner with a company called Sequoia Equities that is managing over four and a half billion dollars in assets. And I said billion 
with a B. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. How many people do you know that do that? They've got over 14,000 units in the multifamily space that they, that they manage, they have under asset, and that's not all. There are other things. He's got a company called Equity Consultants Real Estate, which is a private equity investment firm that they work with people just like you who are looking to take their company to the next level, doing investments in home, uh, mobile home parks, multifamily, office, uh, other financial products. And then finally, there's also Granite Oak Capital, which is a firm focused on mid-stage private equity investments. So if you have a company that wants to go to IPO, they really are interested in helping you through those that first year or so of getting the investment, the, the capital injections that you need to take that step. So we're going to go into some of this stuff and how he got into that because it's going to be really interesting because here's what's also interesting about his story <laughs> is that he graduated from UC Davis with a degree in neurobiology, physiology, and behavior. Like, what in the world does that have to do with running four and a half billion dollars worth of real estate? I don't know, we're about to find out. But I think it probably has something to do with his minor. He minored in economics kind of as a backup plan. <laughs> and it sounds like his backup plan actually has worked out quite nicely. He's been married for 15 years to Jamie and they have two children together. They're seven and nine years old. Please welcome me and welcome me, or help me welcome our guest today, Eric Peterson. Eric? This is awesome, man. It's a pleasure. What an intro. Thank you. That was great. <laughs> well, your story, your story is pretty phenomenal. And I'm so glad that uh, our mutual friend, who's also named Jason, introduced us. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we now get to meet for the first time today here at Oliver. So yes. why neuro, what was it, neurobiology? Neurobiology. What, what was that? Tell me about that. You know, um, I come from a mind, kind of like an analytical mental background. I enjoy uh, the... The discovery uh, of the processes, I love science uh, and what that entails, um, and I kind of went down that pre-med route a little bit, and then ultimately uh, pulled the ripcord and redirected to uh, to economics uh, as a backup plan, realizing that I loved business. So I loved people. I ended up not wanting to work in a lab necessarily <laughs> with rats. Wanted more engaged with people, and uh, but I was able to take those analytical skills that. Uh, that science has from uh, you know testing theses and and studying uh, you know detailed processes and applying that to uh, the business world and uh, you know there's a lot of numbers in business as well uh, in that end so it's uh, it's worked out pretty cool. Did you grow up here in this area? I did. Grew up in the uh, the Sacramento uh, metropolitan area. Um, went to uh, UC Davis as you mentioned partly because I have a, a passion for uh, outdoors and skiing and and water skiing and just uh, the California lifestyle. And so it kind of stayed, stayed in locally. So you grew up here, ended up going to college locally, and you studied uh, essentially health sciences, which are you know, the things we just mentioned. But you did the backup at minor econo economics. Was that on purpose? Like, did you really do that as a backup or was that just an interest that you had? You know, it was, um, I found that it's taking some of those 101 classes early in college that there was a little bit of a spark there that uh, probably needed to be fanned. And so I uh, continued to go down that route and realizing that even if I did go into medicine, you know, many, many doctors are poor business owners, right? Nothing against it. They're brilliant areas, but they don't have the acumen necessarily. And so I thought if I went down that route that I would like to, uh, you know, be a great business owner. And then realized, you know, through that process that, uh, that was not the business that I was supposed to ultimately so you, go on. So you were in, at UC Davis with the health sciences was kind of the way you were going, but you took an economics class and it like sparked something in you you didn't know existed? Is that what you Yeah, really enjoyed it, loved it, 
and uh, continue just to chase that passion. Wow. So. Well, that, that's really cool because I know that uh, I, I, would, I would think most people would agree with this. I know some people don't, but like college, unless you're getting a specific license or degree in a certain area that is required for what it is that you're going to do, these days is really not an investment worth pursuing because, you know, for lots of reasons. But in your case, you, went, you were aiming at a degree that would, was required to do what you're going to do. But because you learned something in college that you weren't planning on learning, it changed the trajectory of your life. It does. And, you know, that's, you know, it's uh, interesting how uh, we take different paths and who we meet along the way. Um, I did an internship at Morgan Stanley Dean Winter back in the day uh, through that economics really? pursuit to learn about Wall Street more, understand how the, the IPO process works, understand what creates valuation, PE multiples, dividend ratios, et cetera, et cetera, to get hands-on approach and uh, understanding, you know, back in the day of what, uh, what, what the Wall Street was all about. And uh, those little, little nuggets of opportunity build uh, early. Uh, that kind of incited me to kind of kind of get into what I was doing today. So you ended up pursuing and got the degrees in the health sciences, neurobiology, physiology, behavior. You ended up getting the degree in that in spite of the fact that economics kind of sparked something in you. So at what point did you decide to um, just abandon the pursuit of a, a career in the health sciences and you actually went into economics instead? You know, um, probably around my junior year, but I was too deep. <laughs> I would have pulled the ripcord and got out a lot sooner uh, out, of the, out of the sciences. But, you know, you, it's, uh, I was on the super senior route even in college, uh, which is nothing, no fault to five years in college. It was a great time in my life and really enjoyed it and was able to uh, take a lot of amazing classes. So, yeah, it would, and it crafted me into what I was doing today. So I, it was, I had to kind of complete the major and move on and um, and then following college, I had a uh, really uh, interesting opportunity in the IT field, uh, working as a, uh, in sales. Uh, I know some of your guests in the past talk about phone experience, and uh, I was a sh relatively shy uh, person on the phone, so having the opportunity to make 150 cold calls a day and really crafting a verbal message over the phone, uh, creating that elevator pitch, you know, you talk about terrible first jobs, but that build character into you, that was one of those. You know, it's, it's hard to make cold calls. I feel for all people that have to go through that, I probably at the end of the day, I am probably the nicest recipient of a cold caller ever. I'll talk <laughs> to somebody for half an hour just to be cordial to them in that experience because I know what they go through on that. Wow. So when so at your house at dinner time when the phone rings, you're like, I'll I'll take that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So all right. So now, when did your entrepreneurial journey actually start? Kind of give me give me the details about that first launch into the entrepreneur space. Um, it probably started similar timing of uh, when I worked for this uh, networking hardware reseller. So learning that a lot of businesses out there are. Uh, for better or for worse, reproducible. Uh, they, you don't have to reinvent the hamster wheel on that or the mousetrap. You can just take it and, uh, and duplicate it and do your own thing. So once I had learned that certain techniques and processes of network hardware resale, I, I left and created my own company. And in that process, I started multiple what other year companies. Was this? What this year? was 2003. Okay. So, uh, you know, we're still recovering from uh, the 01. Uh, kind of collapse, um, and uh, but it was still a great time to be out in the industry um, for, from as far as uh, IT perspective. It was rebuilding a ton. 
So I started up a, you know, I had a, let's back up a second, I had a idol, Wayne Huzanga, uh, by that team. He was the owner of the Dolphins, founder of Blockbuster. Don't know his personal background, but was idolizing his business acumen. He often uh, would create businesses that were based upon a rental aspect. You know, you rent DVDs, you rent water coolers, he rented dumpsters, Waste Management Corporation, he rented seats at you know, sport events, the Dolphins, right? So he would rent the rental model that could be utilized over and over again. And so I thought to myself, well, how can I repeat that uh, in something here? And uh, during, you know, 03, uh, construction was booming in a lot of areas. And so we started a, a chain link fence rental company. And that was one of my first little tiny businesses outside of in the conjunction with the, the network and hardware. So we would schlep fence all around and had them, had guys that would drive fence all over. You so know, you were actually area. doing the fence. It wasn't you were raising money for somebody else to do it. You were actually started the fence company. This was one of those early, you know, like you talk about people with paper, paper boy routes and stuff like that, you yeah. know, or whatever. So this is one of those early entrepreneurial. So that was in 03. When did you graduate from UC Davis? 01. So a couple years out of college, you already abandoned the health sciences because you really saw an opportunity in economics. You really liked it. There was something passionate that kind of driving you in the, inside that. You start the fence company. What happened to the fence company? Did you sell it or? Uh, we actually, it was operating until even just a couple years ago. And then we ultimately, uh, you know, as all entrepreneurs learn, there are limitations in time, right? You have to choose where you want to spend your time. So we, we sold it all to another, another fence operator. So, man, you've had that a long time. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, the downturn. We had banks renting our fence to, to protect assets. And so we had some of this product on yards or on properties for 10 years. So it was just no reason to do anything. We put it on the site and forgot about it. We basically forgot about it because we just kept getting the checks in the mail. So not Wow. So, so the idea of figuring out early as an entrepreneur what you could do to rent things, which today we would refer to as a subscription model. Yes. You know, that, that, that phraseology didn't exist back in 03, but now it does, the subscription model, because certainly the blockbuster guy didn't understand the subscription right. model, which is why he went out of business. But, yeah. but he understood this rental thing is really important. So, okay, so you had the defense company was your first foray into entrepreneurialism, which was successful in the sense that it provided income, passive income for you. Well, not totally passive, but an income stream for you for quite some time. What next? How did, what, what was the next step in your entrepreneur career? About that time, I was also uh, getting into real estate pretty heavily. Uh, I ended up actually starting to work for one of the, uh, uh, it's called a subsidiary of Sequoia Equities, who I'm currently a partner with. Sequoia Equities, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we, we were out uh, looking for product all over the, the West Coast. And when I say product, that's apartment complexes. So we started uh, running financial models, chasing deals, doing market analysis. Uh, the company was uh, just over 6,000 units back then. And we, uh, we've grown it to the 14,000 plus units that it's at today. Wow, that is a lot of multifamily. And so that, how, how, how many people are on your team at Sequoia? So uh, there are 450 employees now at Sequoia Equities. So I'm assuming that means you do your own property management as a result of that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, exactly. So there's over 30 plus people in the, our corporate office and over 420 some odd uh, great people at every site uh, that help manage it. And it's a, it's a process, right? So one of the things that we've learned that it's the human capital and that's not, that's probably not very personal approach to it, but the people really matter. Not just the clients, the people, but the employees really yeah. matter. 
And I think that's, uh, you know, comes back to what has made uh, Sequoia very successful over the last 20 years that we've been a part of it by continuing to focus in that area. Um, they, the, the, the balance uh, that housing provides, it's a very, very needed aspect and you're impacting people by helping provide a really killer experience for them um, in that process. So the Sequoia Equities is not, wasn't something you founded, but you're a partner in that company. Right. And now, but you, you did go and found, and I'm gonna have to look at my notes because equity consultants real estate, is that, so you founded that company Right. As so, to, uh, kind of a supplement, it sounds like, a little bit of what you're doing with Sequoia. Yep, exactly. And it's, they've blended together a lot in the last couple of years. Um, so one of the things that we do at uh, Equity Consultants is a real estate syndication company that uh, takes high net worth individuals' capital and deploys it into specific assets. So it's given us a chance to uh, offer products to people that often aren't familiar with real estate, aren't familiar with, uh, with uh, how to put money to work, um, but it's given them the opportunity to potentially retire early or you know, have additional income outside of their day jobs. Many professionals uh, are very savvy in, in their business but don't know other areas outside of their core focus. So uh, our you know, investment real estate has given them that chance to be able to, to build a, a legacy for their families. And is that, I would assume that's accredited investors only that you're working with on that? Yep. And exactly. then what, and I don't want to get too deep into the details you may not want to reveal, but like, is there a minimum investment that you take for that side of things? Or is that something you could talk about publicly? Yeah, no. Um, so we follow the Regulation D offerings, those 506Bs, 506Cs uh, offerings. Those are uh, established originally, kind of expanded within the Jobs Act back uh, in the last downturn uh, to allow public solicitation. Of, uh, of opportunities, investments. The, the minimums are regulated by a private placement memorandum, so we can do minimums down to 25,000. Uh, there are some that allow even less. We tend to keep it at that minimum, uh, just because it's pretty unruly if we're raising $15 million and they have $25,000 chunks, it's a lot. So uh, yeah, so we, we try to, you know, it's intended to be you know, $100,000 plus investments for people, partly because you know, we we're trying to, um, it's high net worth individuals, so, uh, and so that's a million dollars uh, net worth or more. Um, so we try to push uh, and advise them on how to slim down their, their investments to be really focused, much like you know, many entrepreneurs, if you have too many irons in the fire, too much going on, it's hard to maintain focus. So when they, if, if somebody came to the company and said, hey, I want to put in 100 or 200, whatever it is, is there a time, is there a time that usually the money is deployed or is it more long term? Yeah, good question. Um, so within uh, in apartments and the investment real estate side, it's very hard to acquire assets right now. It's a hyper competitive market. Yields are, are, are compressing right now. There's a ton of capital out there chasing these deals. So when we find a an asset, and we, we take a lot of pride in being very selective. Um, we don't do deals just for doing deals. We do deals that are gonna be accretive to uh, the investors long-term. We're a fiduciary of their money, so we want it to be safe, secure, and sound. So that process requires us to find deals that are ideally to a seven to 10 year horizon. And within the, the product, uh, we push for a 1031 at the exit. And a 1031 allows an investor to roll their proceeds without paying taxes into the next opportunity. So these are legacy assets that ultimately should be passed on to uh, family members or put into trusts that uh, can allow tax deferment for decades upon decades.
Nice. So where did the where did granite uh, where did granite come in? How did that start? Great question. Granite oak came as a function of of me always being interested in uh, early or mid stage company development. Uh, I've invested in a number of them privately, uh, just with. Uh, Let's back up even further. Back when my days at, at Morgan Stanley D. Witter at an internship, saying, hey, how did that, let's call it Uber, for instance, who got into them early? Who got to put their dollars in before they went public? That, that desire to chase some of those opportunities um, kind of is what spawned Granite Oak Capital. So we ended up, uh, a couple of parties and myself, we pooled some capital together and we've taken down a number of Series A uh, funds. Uh, some of them are going to be going public in first quarter of 2022, and we were really excited for those 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 companies. That is a lot to deal with, there. That's you've got <laughs> you've got four and a half billion in multifamily that with with Sequoia. Then you've got your your kind of the other company that helps. It sounds like finding people who want to invest that ultimately is is parlayed into Sequoia. Am I reading that right? Yeah, correct. So you parlay that money into Sequoia, and then you got this other thing where. Outside of the real estate market, you're looking for companies that are those early Ubers, early Twitters, you know, early Airbnbs that you're trying to get access to that Series A, or you're going to be the Series A right. for them. Well, it is a lot, right? But <laughs> much like yourself with your companies, we come back to our people, right? The people that help build that. And it's finding great people that you can hand the keys to to help drive a portion of that business. Um, Every asset within Sequoia is, let's call it a $20 million to $200 million asset, and it's operated by a property manager and a team. Those property managers, they have a single business in their hands that they are nurturing, they are taking care of. Those residents are clients, they are customers. We need to make sure they're taken care of. The capital that bought that asset is investors. We need to be the fiduciary to those investors. If we're not taking care of both sides, the clients and the investors, we have unhappy uh, parties involved. So we, we have to all rely on our team members and we, we try to treat them um, as best that we can at all times and recognize that they are here to work and have fun and we try to provide a really great environment for that and, uh, and compensate them as best that the market can allow for the, the property too. Well, I love that part of it because part of the central tenets of the things that I teach when I coach people how to exit their business without exiting is that the, four, the fourth step is invest in people. And I, you know, it's about treating them the way you would want to be treated because I truly believe that your employees, and I know you know this to be true, is that the way you treat them as the owner, is the, they will never treat your customers better than you treat them. Yeah. Like they're, they're gonna treat their customers the way you treat them as the employees. So how do you, as, as a owner, as a partner in these companies, give me a one or two ideas about what do you do special to make sure that your employees enjoy the culture and the company and, and give their commit, committed time and energy to the business? That's great. Um, yeah, I think from an aspect of trying to make work fun, you know, work historically has been a four-letter word, right? So we, we try to make it, you know, change the, the mentality behind coming to work. Uh, make it as fun as possible. There's a lot of jobs that are mundane out there and not very uh, glamorous. And you st we still need to uh, be thankful and appreciative to those parties. Sequoia does an amazing job. We, this Friday, uh, we have uh, a, a coming up a uh, basically called a fun day. And it allows people to take the day off. They can be, spend it with their family. They can go out and do anything they desire. 
to be a part, uh, to take, you know, it's a free day. We try to do it every quarter. We'll do lunch days. We'll do amazing trainings. We have, we're very, very big on training. Training gives people the tools to also enjoy their job and be successful at it. So we have a lot of training from maintenance techs all the way up to leasing associates from a sales perspective. Uh, they have to know how to communicate what the offering is to a prospective tenant to be able to bring them in and have them sign a lease as well. So all these aspects uh, allow somebody to enjoy the workplace and be you know, long, long tenured employees. So how did you, like who taught you that that was important? How did you learn how to do that? Yeah, um, you know, um, the, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of books out there for one. Um, I try to be as voracious a reader as I, time allows. Uh, I've had good mentors in my life. Um, you know, I have a gentleman by the name of Bill Brooks and Mark Carter, who both associated with uh, Sequoia Equities back in the day, uh, instilled a lot of that in us. And so we've been uh, carrying that torch going forward. Um, and uh, just, uh, I think there's uh, some foundational principles that come from faith and uh, other areas that uh, teach you that people are, are important. Yeah, I, I, was, I was telling this actually to a guest I had on the show yesterday about, um, my son was talking about uh, the company that he's working for, and he, a new company just bought him out, right? So he's been working with them for a while, and a new company come in and acquired the company. And but he was telling me about how he's been treated, like the things that his managers or the owners—I don't know who it was—but he 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 told me a story. And I don't want to give too much away, but he but he said what they said in a meeting, and he came back and told me. My son's 21 years old. He lives on his own. But we have good good relationship, and he's telling me kind of what's going on. He knows I own a bunch of businesses, so he's like, "This guy said this." I'm like, "He did not say that." And and the attitude, like what he said, was true. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not. He didn't lie to him. At least the the report I got. But the attitude, like to treat the employees as dispensable. Like I can, if you leave, I'll get somebody else. Like that is so terrible. But so many people put up with that. And it amazes me, Eric, how many business owners treat their employees so badly. You watch these shows on, on, uh, on cable channels like TLC or Discovery Channel about the, the, the realities of inside the business and how people, like Marcus Lemonis, you know I'm talking about, yeah, the prophet absolutely. on CNBC. I love that show. Yeah. So he's, and I'd love for Marcus to come on the show if anybody knows him. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's get him on the show. But, but he, was, uh, he, he, he goes into these businesses and I see the owner cussing out their employees and yelling at them and... Like, I don't understand that. And here I sit with somebody like you, who's got, you know, the billions of assets, 450 employees, and you've got it. Like, you know, you've got to treat these employees. You're going to invest in them because they're investments, too. Just like you've, you're taking money for investments, they're investments. They are. And I appreciated when, some, when I was younger and somebody, you know, grabbed my hand and helped me up through the process and taught me. And, and uh, I was you know, green. Everybody's green at some point. Everybody's a rookie their first year in the game. So getting through that process and, and being invested in, as you just said, is, is, is really valuable. And I think it means a lot to the, those employees and because it meant a lot to me. So I, it's just our opportunity to, to give back. Well, I, I, I appreciate that very much because I think that as part of, since I, this is something I teach, to hear somebody in your position who's as successful as you are with so many zeros at the end of that number, at the end of that net worth number and assets under management to say, 
people are, are some of the most important parts of the whole business. I, I really appreciate that very, very much. So thank you for saying that. Absolutely. Now this show is called The Root of All Success. So what I do in the show is we talk about like what we've done. It's kind of your story, how you got into that, this, this deal as an entrepreneur. But I want to kind of dig in a little bit because I've got a theory that I talk about on the show is that there's these five keys that every entrepreneur just like you have used to unlock their success. And I want to see how and with and if they show up in your story and if they if it rings true. And so you're certainly welcome to disagree or say there's other things or those didn't happen. But the first key to success that I found in, in talking to so many successful entrepreneurs is that they have passion. And not in the sense of passion in, in terms of emotions and like just I, li I love it and I like it, but passion in the sense of which the original word passion means willing to endure. It's like the passion of the Christ meant willing to endure. It didn't mean he was happy to go to the cross. He was just willing to do it because there was a bigger cause. So did passion and willingness to endure, were there times in your life as an entrepreneur that you had to push through some crap, but on the other side of that was success? Can you think of any time when that happened for you? Oh, I, I think all entrepreneurs and all business owners go through that and hopefully they get over that, that hurdle, right? Um, but I mean, it, there's a lot of long days. Doesn't matter, there's still long days. Uh, in my uh, side, we're, we're, we're traveling, looking at assets a lot. We're meeting with uh, institutional capital. We're meeting with high net worth individuals. We're, you know, I'm doing market analysis uh, on, on properties, running financial models, getting out and kicking the tires on the deal. You gotta walk the markets. You gotta put your boots on the ground. So there's a lot of time and effort involved and at the end of the day that doesn't mean that you win the deal or you're going to get that investor to come on board but you've got to take the steps and you've got to uh, continually recharge your own motivations to get back out there and keep trying um, we've we've lost a lot of deals over the years that it's a bidding war and it's uh it's competitive and you may not be the high bidder but we are fiduciary our investors that we stop the bidding sometimes for us because we know the return's got to hit a certain metric and we want to be uh, be supportive of that. So, but as it pertains to getting back on that horse all the time, you know, we, we, we definitely try to, you know, be involved uh, from a, um, a team approach, encouraging team members, like we just talked about a moment ago, and then getting our tanks refilled on the opposite end. Yeah, I use the word hurdles and I think about you know, there's, there's, there's sprinters who just get out there because we're, we're dealing with the Olympics here in 2021. Yeah. But, you know, there's sprinters who just run down the track, nothing in their way. They're just trying to get from point A to point B. And not that that's easy, but there's no, there's no obstacles in the way. That's, that's what I think entrepreneurs think life is going to be like. <laughs> right. And then they go, hey, if I start this business, all I got to do is go from the start line to the finish line, and I make a million dollars, right? Yeah. But the reality is it's hurdles. There's lots of hurdles in the way. And a, a sprinter who has a hurdle thrown probably doesn't know how to deal with it and is probably going to quit. But a person who's been trained and understands the mindset that I got to jump over these yeah. like, because the finish line is on the other side of those hurdles. Yeah. And so for you as an entrepreneur, you've had to jump through hurdles like you bid on a deal. You think, man, this is going to be an amazing deal. You lose the deal, but you didn't quit. Yeah. You just went bid on another one. Got to keep going. <laughs> well, it's like any other, uh, you know, you can bid on a, a an RFQ for a project that you're working on, right? And you may spend weeks, 40 to 80 hours, preparing to win this, doing an analysis, and then they go with another vendor, and it stinks, it's painful. You, hopefully you can do some post-mortem analysis and say, why didn't we win that? How can we change? And pick up and, you know, what do they say, pull your bootstraps up and keep on going. Yeah, right? 
So. Well, I appreciate you talking about that passion and the sense of endurance and use the word hurdle. I like that. So the second key that I found that entrepreneurs use to unlock their success is being at the right place at the right time. So I don't know what have you've ever thought about this, but just listening to your story is that you sitting in that first economics class at UC Davis was probably the right place at the right time. And you never, you might not have ever even thought about that, but like if you hadn't gone registered for that class, you would not be sitting here with me. Not likely that you would be sitting here with me doing this podcast because you might not have ever gone down that road. What do you think about that? Is that, what do you think? You know, um, Right place at right time for entrepreneurs um, is an interesting concept, right? Because a lot of people say, oh, Jeff Bezos is lucky. You know, uh, 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 billionaires are lucky. They just, they got there. I don't, there's, there's no luck involved. There's a lot of hard work and there's a lot of putting yourself in the right place. And they might've been in the wrong place the first 10 times, but by continually persevering um, and having the passion that they did, as you just talked about, they ultimately we'll get to that right place. Um, and I think that's, that's how uh, entrepreneurs are often successful. Yeah, they it's often, not luck. Yeah. The harder you work, the luckier you get, right? right? I mean, if you put your, like I've, I've traveled, traveled across the country to come out here and meet essentially strangers to do a show, but what's this gonna, what's the fruit of this? Well, the fruit of this is relationships. Like I, I hope that you and I continue to stay in touch and I may wanna invest in one of your apartment complexes because <laughs> right. I love multifamily. Like this is, this is a. This is not lucky that we met. This is. This is. We made our own luck. We're doing it. We're putting ourselves in the right place. But I really do think, though, that even though you had to go to college, you had to actually choose to register for that class. That was a pretty cool place for you to be at the right time to get your mindset. And then meeting the partners at Sequoia and the other places. Those are probably cool stories behind how you met those folks too. Is there any other right place, right time moment for you? Um, you know, I think uh, in building relationships with people, just like what we're doing here. Uh, the same thing happens with, uh, for a lot of uh, properties that we purchase. I've met owners of properties and the time came over 10, 15 years of relationship building where they say, Eric, we want you to buy the property. We want you at the first chance. That's the perseverance within your niche of your market. Maybe it's a, a, a winning a deal on you know, I don't know, a, a construction bid, or maybe it's, uh, you know, winning a, a sale on uh, another large project or getting an investor, for instance. You know, it's, it's the perseverance being in that over a long time. It may not happen today, but it's that perseverance over maybe 10 to 15 year relationship that, uh, that something comes out of it. And it doesn't have to be, a lot of relationships we don't have uh -huh. for the sake of business either. It's for the sake of just friendship and uh, engagement and, the, the human in, in, interacting that, uh, that hopefully a lot of entrepreneurs ultimately enjoy. And I know I enjoy that more, just as much as the other side. Yeah, man, I love that. that well, the third, the third P is knowing the right people. Like yeah. the third key, you know, I use, they're all P's because it's alliterative, it's easier <laughs> to remember. Uh, the, the pastor in me from days gone by helped me remember. <laughs> I gotta do alliteration. But you got passion, you got the right place, right time. It's also knowing the right people. So is there, can you think back in your story and could you share, like who are some of the right people that helped get you to where you are today? Absolutely, you know, um, there's been a, a, I mean, we already talked about all the support uh, parties within the businesses that are influential. You know, they're definitely key. Um, the, the other is the, the people that uh, at 
the other end that may have been solid uh, supporters of my advancement. So maybe a founder of Sequoia Equities or uh, one of the other part previous partners that uh, we've worked with. And then also on some of the companies that we invest in. Those people, uh, we're actually helping them, but at the end of the day, I'm learning just as much sometimes from their business models and uh, helping them get to a certain stage. So uh, all our investors and clients and everybody that work with, uh, there's a different aspect in different areas that uh, they've definitely given back to me, I feel like, more than I've given them. Well, I love that your first inclination to answer that question was your employees again. Like, because I, I, I see it, your heart and your passion about the people are so important, and without them, you wouldn't be where you are. And I, I, I so appreciate that, and I hope that people listening will definitely take that to heart because you can't take for granted those people that are working for you. Whether you have two, one employee, two employees, or 450 like you, those people, like, they make it happen. You can't do everything. Like, if you could, you wouldn't need employees, but you have to have employees. So I love that your right people or your, their first answer to that was your employees. I, I appreciate that so much, Eric. Well, so the fourth key to, uh, to success that I've found in all these interviews that I've done um, on this show and, and then previous to doing the show is that preparation is a key. And, and what I mean by that is the know-how to pull it off. Um, so, for example, you know, if, if, if you just drop me into, say, all right, you're a partner in Sequoia Investor, uh, Investment today. Like, if I, if I was a partner today, I'm not prepared for that. Like, I, I'm not going to, I can contribute to the success, but I'm not going to be successful because I'm not prepared for it. If you drop me at SpaceX with Elon Musk and said, all right, you're, you're the CEO now. Like, I'm not going to be prepared for that because I don't know. I haven't spent my 10,000 hours. I haven't done it. What, what do you think prepared you most to be successful in real estate and the private equity space? You know, I think um, at the end of the day, planning is a really big thing. So taking, you know, there's that classic saying, you know, fail to prepare, prepare to fail, right? So it's having the roadmap and the goals outlined. Um, I've been very active in goal setting uh, from a long time ago, setting goals uh, and then backing into those goals to a really micro level, um, both personally and professionally. Uh, that allows me to then, you know, try to drive that 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 plan forward. Uh, so, you know, from a, a corporate aspect, it's you know, growing the assets under management every year to saying, hey, we want to have additional, um, uh, you know, uh, support for our, the employees, or working uh, on, hey, how do we continue to have the the culture that is there? How do we continue to uh, support? Uh, new ventures, um, all these different aspects that we plan for, we, we try to put it in motion and have a, have a roadmap associated behind it. Well, so that's the fifth key, which is planning, which you, so you, uh, you just put them all together. Like, <laughs> but your prep, your prep work though, like how did you know how to do, how did you know how to take it from 6,000 units to 14,000 units? Like, like, was it just learning on the job? Like I went out and walked properties, met owners, met with investors. Is like, or was there a book you read, a podcast you listened to? Like what? How how did you get the know how to pull this off? This is what you've done is amazing. Like how do you well, know how to do? Well, fortunately, this? we had a good structure, right? There are people uh, around. It comes back to people again to be able to grow that, right? So it's this is not uh, it's not a novel business model. There's a lot of competitors out there. So recognizing that you don't have to reinvent 
once again, sometimes there's steps involved that you can identify from Sam Zell of Equity Residential and Equity Office and how he grew a company and the financing and the metrics. And there's, there's, there's uh, not quite a cookie cutter approach, but there is a, a pre-existing quasi roadmap that you can see from 30 years ago. You know, our government sets up the financing programs. There's amazing debt out there from Fannie and Freddie. We have, uh, we have the foundation from the, the property management side. Uh, we have, you know, there's a, a network that is out there selling assets, you know, the broker network. We, so there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that we can take, put it together, and, and have that grow. That is, that is fantastic. Well, so what's probably, if you think back for a moment and kind of, get, kind of get a little sentimental, like what's the coolest thing that's happened in your journey over the last, uh, what, what, I mean, golly, 20-something years doing this yeah. business. Like what's the, can you think of one cool story that you like? Oh, man. Um, you know, property management in real estate is a pretty, pretty mundane business, a lot, of, a lot of traveling. But I think at the end of the day when um, one asset, you know, had a fire a couple years ago, and our team's ability to jump in there and take care of the residents and find alternative housing for them, make them feel comfortable post that traumatic event. I mean, if you imagine your apartment burning down around you, that's a, that's a stressful event for those, those residents. And so to be able to, uh, to see that come out ahead and then you know our teams rebuilt it and then those residents were able to move back in into a brand new unit and see them the smiles on their faces when they got back into their their apartments is, is pretty pretty special that's that's fantastic now all of your investments right now as far as i understand it are on the west coast and in arizona so you got washington oregon california and arizona is that right correct Yep. So do you you stay there on purpose just because of geographical limitations on travel, or is it, or is that just is there a other business reason for that? Um, you know that it's kind of part of the growth strategy. We've tried to be very focused in certain markets. We try to manage all our own assets. Uh, so in order to have kind of a wave growth approach, we're now moving into Denver. We'll be moving into Phoenix and Dallas. So we are actively chasing assets in those other other markets as well. Uh, from a uh, economies of scale perspective. Uh, we like to have several hundred units or the opportunity to take down several hundred units in a certain market before we expand into that market uh, for management reasons. Just makes it more cost effective. What about on the on your other business, Granted Oak, where you are doing the IPO Series A? Have you got, I know that some of that stuff you can't talk about publicly because it's just all private stuff behind the scenes, but is there a cool story in an IPO opportunity that either went really well or went really badly? <laughs> uh, thank goodness no really bad ones yet. Um, but we have a, a number, you know, we try to, we're, let's call it asset market agnostic. So as it pertains to a specific uh, market, it can be from pharmaceutical, it can be CBD cannabis, it can be in insurance. Uh, we will uh, scrub the deal, scrub the ownership, scrub the leadership team, and get, get our hands dirty to evaluate that opportunity. Uh, we are all in a, where none of our investments have gone IPO yet. The fund's only about 24 months old, 36 months old, and we're right at that spot where we're about to harvest some of those. So maybe the next podcast I'll have some information for you. Uh, yeah, that would be great. And I told you, uh, pre-show, like the, the guests that I'm having, I've got a guest coming on the show later today that I think you definitely should talk to. And then I had a guest on the show yesterday 
that, uh, and all these episodes are going to be released simultaneously, so I know that they're going to be released in the future, but they're all going to be in order. But one of the guests I had on the show that I think you, I think there's a, I think there's a connection that I could make for you that probably would help you. Again, I believe that the, knowing the right people and being in the right place, right time yeah. are, is a key to success, and I want to help you connect some of those dots. So, well, what would you say, Eric, to uh, entrepreneurs who are out there listening to this show that they, they're, they're really entrepreneurs. They haven't really started yet. What one or two pieces of advice would you give them to help them on their journey to be an entrepreneur? Oh, man, great question. Um, I think, you know, the, hard, the hardest thing for many is uh, fear is such a debilitating, let's call it a disease. It's, fear is hard to get over. Um, and so taking that step, just taking that step to move forward uh, in any capacity and, and going for it. There's um, you know, a great book that uh, if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. And I'm sure you've read that or seen it. It's, it applies great to entrepreneurship as well. You've got to get out of the chair. You've got to get up. You've got to take action. So uh, taking those first steps are, are, are big. Um, it's funny you, you, you asked that question because I have a, a really good friend that we've talked about. He's wanted to do investing in, in, in real estate for a long time. And he wanted to do his own deals. And this is probably a decade-long conversation with him. And finally, this last year, uh, I said, okay, if you don't buy a deal this year, do anything, you have to stand out on the street corner in a dress saying, I'm too scared to buy real estate. <laughs> and he, lo and behold, about a month before the end of last uh, December, he, uh, he ended up buying a, a VRBO, uh, and he now has a starting that business, and it's been phenomenal for him. He grosses over 10000 a month, and after expense income, it's been a game changer. But he was too afraid or had too many steps of what he thought he needed Sometimes you just got to go for it and jump into the game. Yeah, success doesn't come to those on the sidelines. Success comes to those who are in the game, playing the game. So do, what's your, how would you define success in your own words? What would you say success is? Oh, man. Um, success to me is um, uh, supporting the people around you to find personal fulfillment, uh, personal growth, uh, having others accomplish their dreams. Uh, uh, that to me is at the end of the day what can drive happiness um, for me and, and success is is different for everybody sometimes it's a it's a number right uh, sometimes it's a uh, certain accomplishments to me it's a, to see the people around me families friends uh, acquaintances being able to find purpose and fulfillment in their lives too. so based on that definition which is your definition do you consider yourself to be successful not yet. Really? I, I, uh, I hope to have more of my friends and people around me being happy and content in their lives and uh, you know, hopefully finding greater purpose. Well, I think that from my seat and from those that are listening, we would think that you're a successful guy, oh, Eric. Thanks. I appreciate, appreciate the humility, that. but I, I, see you living, I see you living that. And I think the thing that I'm most impressed with about you today is your, your singular focus on how important your employees are. And I hope that probably, you know, maybe that ends up being the title of the podcast is how important, how, 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 how important people are or invest in people because that's so critically important to any entrepreneur who's building a business. You can't treat your employees like they're dispensable. You can't treat your employees as if they're just, you can take one cog out and pop another one in. They are the key 
to your growth. And I love that you do the, the quarterly, you know, fun days. I love that you do the lunch. I, I love it. I, I, I do some of that stuff on a much, much smaller scale with 20 <laughs> employees, but, but you're doing it with 450. Yeah. I think that's phenomenal. I appreciate that so much in you. Is there any final thoughts, words of, words of encouragement that you want to give to our listeners before we sign off for today? You know, I, I think uh, you're not an island out there. I mean, this is going out to entrepreneurs. There's a lot of uh, a lot of people that feel like they're rowing in that boat alone, um, and there's a lot of ways to connect with other entrepreneurs and to network and to go out there and look for that to help keep you uh, keep your fire inside burning uh, so that you can uh, do what you do. That's great, and that, and that's why I do this. I mean, you know, like I said at the top of the show, uh, we have a mutual friend who was the guy that encouraged me to come out here to do this this entire uh, podcast tour here in California this week. And it's an honor to meet you. And I think that advice there at the end about you got to can't be an island. You got to get out and rub elbows and get with people, join the masterminds, go do things, do get, get out there with other entrepreneurs. So thank you for that, Eric. I appreciate you being on the show. Well, everybody, there you have it. You get another very successful entrepreneur, even though he says he's not yet successful. I think we would all disagree (laughs) with it. But I think that if you listen to what he's talked about, that focus on, the employees and your team members, how important is that? I mean, that, that's, that's it. Like, like one of the things I teach about exit without exiting is you, the fourth step in the, the process to be able to do that is you got to invest in people. You've got to treat your people right. And I love the golden rule taught by Jesus that said, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. So are you treating your employees that way? And so this man sitting across from me today, as you've heard on this show, they have made a commitment to treat their employees with the golden rule. Treat them the way they would want to be treated. He even said that at some point during our show today. And, and that has contributed to his success in ways that you can't draw a direct line back to and say, because I treated Bob this way, now I'm, you know, we got four and a half billion under asset management. It's, it's something you've got to pay attention to. And you may never see a direct line of how it benefits you, but it leads to your success. So if you want to know if you have the opportunity to be successful, I've created an assessment that you can take on my website you can go to therealjasonduncan.com slash success, and you can take a 17-question assessment. It's completely free. It's my gift to you for being a listener to the show. Just go take that assessment, and it'll run through your ventures. Like one of the first questions is, what business venture are we talking about? Maybe you own a shoe company, or maybe you're selling cars, or maybe you've got a pressure washing company. Whatever it is that you're doing, you, it'll run through the five Ps that we've talked about, a passion, right place, right time, right people, preparation, and plan, and give you kind of a, a, a personalized report, a kind of an opportunity, are you going to be successful in this? And if it says that you're probably not, then you could take that under advisement. That doesn't mean you won't, but you could take that under advisement. And of course, beyond that, if you want to reach out to me or one of my coaches, we could talk to you about how we can engage with you and get you to that success. So thank you for listening today. Please make sure that you subscribe and rate the podcast. Give us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. As of the recording today, I think we have 28 five-star reviews, all five-star reviews on iTunes. And I appreciate that very much. If you're one of those 28 people who left that, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I thank Eric again, Eric Peterson, for being here today. It's been a fantastic conversation with him. We'll see you next time. Actually, the next show will be also here from the same room from Oliver's Brewhouse and Grill here in Lincoln, California, on tour with the Root of All Success podcast here in California. I'll see you next time. We talk to another successful entrepreneur about his journey to, or hit, The next guy, it is a guy, (laughs) about his journey to success and how he did it. I'm the real Jason Duncan, and until next time, remember, Jesus is king. 
Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.